0: Hello friends. Welcome back to Modern Wisdom. You may be noticing a slight change in the audio quality today and that is because I'm recording on my brand new mic setup. Jason Calacanis gave me a bit of shit about what I was recording on a few weeks ago so I thought fuck it why not spend some of those hard-earned YouTube ad revenue dollars on a brand new setup so here it is. Increasingly, I uh, hear from some of the listeners that they use the show to fall asleep on a night time. I'm not sure how much of a compliment it is to hear that people use the show to fall asleep. I'm, I'm hoping that it's the uh, dulcet, sultry, soft tones that are actually sending them to sleep from me and the guest rather than the content itself. But time will tell. And with this brand new lovely warm mic, If you're here to fall asleep, then maybe this will happen even quicker now. Anyway, on to today's guest. Dr. Eric Feigelding is an epidemiologist at Harvard, and he is an advisor to the World Health Organization. So, as you can imagine at the moment, he is in the thick of it, dealing with the COVID-19 coronavirus outbreak, And very fortunately, I managed to get him in between recording for BBC Iran and ABC News interviews. I managed to get him for a full hour, sit him down and ask him everything that I wanted to know about the outbreak, from where it's come from, what the dangers are, what we can expect moving forward, signs that you could be infected without having to get tested, prevention, is containment going to work, quarantining strategies everything. So hopefully this will clear up some of the questions you have about the current situation. Although it's uh, not conclusive, it does give us the information, which is the best that we can ask for at the moment. All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution and borrowing, thousand companies have already made the move. So do the maths and see how you will profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash modern right now. That's netsuite.com slash modern. Please welcome the wise and wonderful Dr. Eric Feigelding. Oh yeah, P.S. If you are new here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You'll receive one episode every Monday and every Thursday with the world's most fascinating humans delivered directly to your listening device of choice. If we're about to face a global pandemic, you might as well get some content backed up so you can listen to it while you're under quarantine. This must feel like a war zone for you at the moment.
1: Yeah, this epidemic it's been raging. Um, I think the world woke up to it somewhere in late January, um, but it's it's gotten really, really bad since. When we just when we think it couldn't get worse, it's gotten worse. Um, like just yesterday, the total mortality, the total number of deaths outside of China, actually exceeded the daily deaths inside of China, like the c- curves have crossed. So now the epidemic is actually worse outside of China. And it's not stopping.
0: Well, I'm glad that I've got hold of yourself so that you can try and uh, give us some signal to cut through the noise that everyone has been seeing online. I recently saw Shane Parrish is doing the same thing. He's got some coronavirus experts on. And um, <clears throat> the most common question that people are asking is, is to do with trying to work out where the bullshit ends and the information begins, right? So um, before we get started, who are you? Why Why should we listen to you? Yeah, so I'm a
1: public health scientist. I've been uh, a faculty at Harvard for many years. And um, actually, I resigned my faculty to run for Congress, but that's a different story. Um, but I, I really enjoy uh, science communication and you know public policy and advocacy, and especially raising alarm about this. My doctorate was in epidemiology, so the science of epidemics. And although I, I did other chronic disease epidemi, not you know infectious disease epi, it's still in my wheelhouse. And I think sometimes in the world, you know, getting a message out there is something that many scientists are not good at. They know so much in their technical area that that translating it for the world and making the masses listen um, is something that's not usually taught. And so it's something I really enjoy. And especially for this um, pandemic now, I think waking people up and waking them up early before the tsunami hits is something we have to do in public health and we have to do way better. So this is why I'm tweeting nonstop about this COVID-19 and trying to make everyone listen.
0: I get it. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting that some of the people that are the best qualified to tell us the technicalities and the specifics about what's happening, perhaps aren't the best qualified to communicate that out, right? And that's, the, I, I get what you mean when you say about that. So, okay, let's start. What is coronavirus and what's COVID-19? Is that the same thing? No, coronavirus is the family of
1: viruses. It's like when you, someone who drives a certain brand of car, but they have different makes and models. Coronavirus is one family <coughs> and, um, you know it's the common cold. There's a few coronaviruses that are common cold, but there's also common cold that's other viruses. Uh, SARS is a coronavirus. MERS, uh, which is Middle Eastern Respiratory Disease, a couple years ago, also coronavirus. And it's it's one of those viruses that has these spiky you know aura around it. It's corona, that, so it looks like it has a corona around the virus particle on the microscope. But um, it's an RNA virus, but it's not a it's not a uh, retrovirus like uh, like hiv is hiv is an rna virus that has to convert to dna live in your dna merge in your dna and then replicate what's what's this rna directly replicates its uh, virus particles after it invades okay yeah and so this is a this is a virus that uh, it m- made a jump from animals but probably a bat or some other animal to humans, and there's a lot of genetic evidence showcasing that. There is no evidence that showcases that or sub- supports um, that it's a bioengineer, bioweapon whatsoever. Because the more you f- go, you can there's there's these detective clues that you can see within the DNA, uh, within the genome, the RNA genome that suggests it was evolutionary driven, not as opposed to some human kind of insertion. Um, so that's so, the first
0: that's the first myth busting there that this is yeah. created by the Chinese government to drive the price of gold up or something like that yeah
1: yeah there's no absolutely no evidence whatsoever and there were some studies that you know put out that idea in an unpublished preprint manner um, I even tweeted about it because I thought oh it's, it's it's published but it was retracted and once it was retracted I deleted it as well and and that's all the thing like there's a lot of even so there's bad websites, but there's also like these pre-publication websites that are not reliable because they're not peer reviewed and anyone can publish onto them. And um, information is tricky. Um, and I I think people need a, a filter and, you know, like putting debunking articles right after someone posts it, I think it's really key in this day and age. Um, so yeah, it's it's not bioengineering bioweapon. If there is, there's no evidence to date about that. So, but the, at the point right now is, look, it's cl- it's clearly a virus that's jumped um, from animals to humans. That's pretty clear. And we right now are just trying to focus on solving it. You know, we can discuss and debate how it jumped later. But <clears throat> I think right now that's that's not the most important thing as part of the epidemic.
0: Got you. So, other different strains, or are we talking about one thing, COVID nineteen? So strains,
1: you know, strange is like, is it, a, a, it? There are different kind of branching, but all that branching evidence has shown that they all branched pretty recently in sometime in November. So it was one single event that has since spawned all these different small variations. So we, there are like a, va- a variation here and there. Like for example, the variation in Washington State is is different from the variation that was in Iran. But we know the Brit- one in British Columbia that was tested after from the woman who flew from Iran came from the uh, Iran Iran came from Wuhan, while it, it, the Singapore and Japanese and Korean ones came from a different branching. And so using that kind of evidence, we can actually. Instead of asking where did you fly, you can actually look at the virus genome to see where did this version come from. Like British Columbia, Vancouver is very close to Seattle, right? You think that maybe the Seattle version, the Washington State version is the same one. No, they come from different locations because of air travel.
0: So, so you can
1: actually tr- you know, use detective work in its genome to see where it originally came from as opposed to, you know, just asking, where do you
0: travel? I guess it's useful, right? It allows you to see the footsteps of where where this has been. Okay, so we know that about the different strains. What are the biggest misinterpretations so far that you've seen? Um, Besides
1: those conspiracy theories, I think the misinterpretation, the it's just a flu. That's actually uh, uh, someone, a lot of... Actually, early on, a lot of public health officials and policymakers just said it's just a flu. It's not just a flu, because A, everyone has partial immunity to various strains of the flu. Um, no one has immunity to coronavirus, this novel coronavirus, COVID-19. So this novel coronavirus, um, the virus is called SARS-CoV-2. The disease is called COVID-19. The virus causes disease COVID-19. It's it's a, it's an analogy is hiv causing aids right hiv is the virus aids is a disease so but you know people just call it COVID 19 so this um this virus i think the main uh, uh, you know misconception first of all is that it's just the flu is very dangerous because we have a we have vaccines for the flu in each year the we may pick the wrong strains to put into the vaccine but it's still at least partially effective Right. Anywhere from 50 to 80 percent effective against most of the strains. We don't have a vaccine whatsoever and we don't have background immunity from you previously having the flu uh, for previously this, this virus. And secondly, the flu has a mortality of point 0.1%. This one has a mortality of a full one to three percent. That is 10 X to three X higher, 30 10x to 30x higher. So they're not in the, in the same order of magnitude mortality. Granted, there could be some places like Singapore with super high, um, wealthy healthcare that could actually, you know, the mortality could drop below 1%. But on average, you know, WHO said it's 3.4% so far. And that's pretty scary, personally. So again, it's not on the same scale, flu, we don't have vaccine, we don't have countermeasures. Um, so it's not the flu. And that annoys me to no end when people say it's just the flu and also finally the other thing is um the transmission the transmission reproductive number (laughs) which means the r naught for every infected person that person will infect for the flu 1.3 more people for this virus it's two to four additional people if you think about it you know that is one of the fastest exponential rises uh, you can potentially find. Now, granted, there are things like measles that have higher R-naughts of, in the teens, but guess what? We have a 99% effective vaccine against the measles. All you have to do is take it. Um, so we, again, for something with no vaccine whatsoever, this is a very high R-naught. And it has a doubling time around one week, which is, is a pretty fast doubling time. Uh, for in terms of transmission epidemic, so altogether, it's not the flu. Um, in terms of other misinformation, you know, some people say that men um, get sicker more than women. It's, I would say it's partly true. Men get infected at the same rate as as women, but it could be. And but men seem to have a slightly higher mortality. But that's from a study in China, in which men, like seventy percent of men in China, smoke, and so if you smoke obviously this thing is going to kill you faster. Um, so is it because the, that it hurts men more or is it because men also smoke more? We haven't figured that out. So I don't know if it's – and there's no genetic variation. I think, you know, um, you know, right now people are coming down in Europe um, and people are dying in, in Washington State in the U.S. and they're not Asian whatsoever. So I don't think there's any racial – Explanation of why you know there's no racial uh, differences there. Um, Yeah, and the other mysterious thing that we actually is actually true is children don't seem to get sick from this. Well, they they get infected and they get maybe a mild sniffle, but almost all children who are infected have very mild to almost no symptoms, Um, which is in certain ways good but very strange, but it's well-established. Um, oh, and the, finally, the main differential between this virus and SARS and the flu is this SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, is transmittable while it's asymptomatic. SARS, we were able to stop in nine months without any vaccine whatsoever. This one, we, that's not going to be able to happen because, you know, say you take a plane, right? You're healthy, healthy. Get off the plane. Two days later, you get sick, and develop your symptoms. Well, with SARS and many other viruses, well, it's okay. You only got sick two days after. We don't. We're not worried about everyone else that you traveled with. But um, for this one, it's tricky because you can actually shed viruses even when before you have the symptoms. And so that is very tricky and very difficult. Uh, for containment of the epidemic because how an epidemic works is that how containment quarantine works is that you find a case, you contact trace and you quarantine them and hopefully you quarantine enough. But um, based on a seven day kind of thing, it's uh, there's a lot of asymptomatic transmission that could have happened. So again, altogether this virus is it's, it's a mean little sucker in certain ways. You know, SARS and MERS, which have much higher mortality. SARS at ten percent mortality, MERS at like um, fifty or thirty percent, and Ebola has fifty percent. A virus that kills more and kills faster is actually easier to control than a virus that kills slower, kills less, and spreads
0: asymptomatically. So, again, all these reasons why it's just so difficult. Got you. I want to loop back around to a few of the things you brought up there, but one of them is the current mortality rate, which you've uh, said between 1% and and 3%. I've heard and read some stuff talking about the fact that that is the numerator that we've got on the top, but the denominator on the bottom due to some testing um, questions may be different. And if that numerator on the bottom turns out to be significantly higher than we've thought... Um, because the reported cases in some places, yeah, the reported cases in some cases are uh, people that are symptomatic or symptomatic, and you know, the people that died from it are only people that died from it from the people who had symptoms, whereas it could be people who died from it versus people who were just infected, and that number could be much higher. Could you take us through that? Yeah, so very good question, and
1: um, epidemiologists have thought of that. There's two different things. there's there's a tug of war happening. The, what you're talking about is underdiagnosis. Basically, mild people or asymptomatic people, they're just not tested, and therefore they don't they don't show up in the denominator of total total cases, right? Um, and this underdiagnosis, you know, was a problem for in China for a while, and there's it's still a problem in, in almost every country other than Korea. Korea is doing 15,000 tests a day, drive-through style
0: their Korea's got
1: drive through tests. drive through tests and doing 15,000 tests a day. Holy is, shit. insane. <laughs> um, Korea's, Korea's uh, you, you need a, comp- a country that is like systematically you know well managed enough centrally and you have the wealth and you have the capacity for the scientific labs to do it. The United States can't even do that. The United States can probably you know across all its labs do only like 9,000, and that's across the entire United States right now at the moment. Hopefully we can do more, but um, our capacity is not even close to Korea. Um, So my point is underdiagnosis. By the way, Chinese numbers are different than other numbers because if you test positive and you don't have symptoms, China does not put you on the confirmed case count. Everywhere else, if you are test positive, regardless of symptoms, you're a case count. So there's underdiagnosis, which if the number at the bottom of this case fatality ratio is larger, then the uh, case fatality will drop in percentage, right? But there's another competing thing, and that is the mortality lag. So this disease is a long-ass sucker. Mild cases are about 80%, 80% mild to moderate, and the duration of mild cases is two weeks, which is, by the way, pretty long, because most people who have a flu just get over in in a week but severe cases, which is 20%, severe and critical, 20%, is about three to six weeks long. And and some of and the critical people who are basically need hospitalization in ICU, um, you know, they have a 28-day mortality of 50% in China. Um, and China, by the way, has a lot of ventilators. They can manufacture a lot of ventilators and they have staff, ICU staff nurses. Um, but the issue is the three to six weeks, it means you have a lot of cases once you're diagnosed. Say someone was diagnosed during Valentine's Day after kissing, terrible Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. But their, their outcome does not resolve to a death or recovery for at least six weeks or three to six weeks. you see that? There's a lag. From the day that it, you have to think of a cohort, you can't think of it of a mortality a simple back of the napkin calculation of deaths over cases. You have to look at it from a cohort perspective. And the problem is a lot of most countries, you know, in China, still half the people have not recovered, you know. And in Korea, I would still say like 80% of the cases are neither deaths nor recovered and you know released. You've you've healed yourself, you don't have a virus, you're over it. Most two thirds of them or three fourths have not been death or recovered, which means they're still part of this. I'm still sick. I'm still have symptoms or I'm still testing positive. I'm not clear from my body. And that actually causes two problems. One the lag meaning this numerator is not finished, right? Is not fi- this cohort, this Valentine's Day cohort of everyone who got on Valentine's will not be finished until end of March early April. So we cannot finish calculating the case fatality then. If we just keep testing testing more, we're just adding more people to the denominator, but who have not finished the entire disease course. So there's a tug of war. Underdiagnosis would drag the CFR down, but the mortality lag of incomplete resolution of most of the cases, because they haven't hit the end, you have, the, this case fatality is only finalized when everyone is either dead or fully recovered. And that has not happened for most cases yet. Got you. So hence, they balance out to around one to three percent, depending on the model. Um, and the other key implication of the disease being three to six weeks in twenty percent of the people, which is a lot—one in five people who have a three to six week uh, a disease course—is hospital beds will be completely swamped. Like the United States, terrible. Like Korea has a really high per capita number of hospital beds, really high. Korea is like top five. Like two thousand people do not have beds. You know, there's. You know, this is why China built a hospital in ten days, right? And Korea, um, you know, does not have enough beds. And most countries do not have enough beds. And it's just going to jam up the healthcare system. It's, it's terrible in that sense.
0: That seems pretty ugly. Why don't you tell us what the virus does? What does it do? I've heard it's bad for people that smoke and it's something to do with COPD. What, what is it? What it it's do? a
1: pneumonia. It causes vir- it's a viral pneumonia. So it will give you a, a fever at first. You'll have coughing. <coughs> it's common. And then you have, you know, you feel like you have fluid in your lungs. You have trouble breathing, and then, and over time, you can an infection can set in uh, uh, further of your lungs. And I'm not sure if it creates lung scarring. There's China did one lung transplant on someone with COVID nineteen, but it's 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 unclear. If it, you only need that if you have permanent lung scarring, um, and most pneumonia doesn't do that, but. If the pneumonia is bad enough, you know, you have problems getting oxygen. And that's why people are on ventilator, respirator machines, because they need oxygen. Um, and the, and if it just causes really, really bad pneumonia, people just are oftentimes dying for lack of oxygen. That's the truth.
0: So we've said that children somehow appear to be fairly low in terms of symptomatic. Who are the people that are at the highest risk?
1: So I'm going to give you two answers. In terms of death, elderly definitely have the highest death. It, 65 you know, the plus. Like, it, the curve goes up like this. It's not like a ste- it's not oh. a step function. It's not it's a, a point. Curve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it curves up. And it curves up starting around age 50 and then, you know, definitely above 65 it becomes a high risk. Like in a nursing home in Washington state, there's been six deaths already in a nursing home of frail elderly people. It's, it's really bad in just one week. Um, but in terms of – the other thing is just because you don't die, actually, you know, it's, it's tricky. In terms of the healthcare system, I hate to say it, someone who dies quickly actually is cheaper for the healthcare system and for insurance. Someone who's sick for six months oh, for six weeks, that's actually really, really bad, right? Because it jams up hospital beds, ICU services, et cetera. And so I think you can't just look at death. And in terms of ICU, there was a one study that says a lot of young people were actually stuck in ICU as well for this. Um, it's, you know, in terms of the earliest reports in, in, in China, there was just as many people under the age of 60 as over the age of 60 in ICU. Um, presumably on the ventilator machine. This is a, this is a really serious issue because, look, um, People being sick for a long time is actually a really, really taxing thing on the healthcare system. And I think the other thing is, you know, there's also uh, many young Chinese doctors who've died. There's a 29-year-old, 29-year-old, 34-year-old, 42-year-old. Like, that's four doctors, like, basically 40 or under. Um, It's it's very troubling. So, and the other thing is just because you're part of the 80% who have a mild and moderate case – Um, you're still spreading it. You're not, most likely those people who are not tested are the 80%, but they're spreading it. And young people, you know, old people stay home and watch TV or play checkers or something. Young people are out and about, going to work, bartending, waitressing, going to movies, sports games, you know, going to restaurants. They're the ones spreading around. And so in in certain ways, You know, their morbidity may be less, but they actually add to the total number of people infected. So these infectious 80 percent mild is actually much harder to control because, again, even if 20 percent, only twenty six percent get sick, these 80 percent keep spreading and amplifying the total denominator uh, for people who are who can come down with something really serious. Yep. That's why I don't think just because it's mild for you doesn't make this virus any better for the general population.
0: I understand, yeah. Um. So we touched on it there and you mentioned it earlier on. I really want to try and get some definitive ideas about when your infectious period begins, how long the onset is likely to take before you are either symptomatic or non-symptomatic, and then um, when you could re-release yourself into the world.
1: Yeah, yeah. Good question. So, this is actually a project that I'm working on because right now, based on the early studies, (coughs) and we don't have incubation times for everyone. Incubation is defined as the moment you got infected to the moment you develop symptoms. Um, And sometimes you can't, you don't know when someone first got infected. So, not every case has this information. But the limited numbers we have, it says anywhere between five to ten days, five to seven days. But that means that's just the mean. Half of them are longer than that. And right now, all the quarantine rules are basically quarantine someone who was exposed for 14 days. You're traveling, entering the country, quarantine 14 days. The question is, is, you know, there's a normal distribution, right? And if the mean is at five to seven days, the question is, are you sure that by extending it to 14 days quarantine, you've captured the entire tale? Because what if this tail, centered on 5 to 7, has a very, very long tail? And let's just say 10% of the people exceed 14 days incubation. So that – which means, oh, I'm perfectly healthy for 14 days. I'm going to be released on the 15th day. They could still develop it if they have a long incubation time on the 18th or 20th day. And then you've – because the quarantine time – is supposedly if you pass this quarantine time and you haven't gotten sick, we can release you into the wild, right? Uh, you don't have disease, have, go have fun again. But the question is, I don't know if it's long enough. And there's some studies of showing someone with 21 days or 25 days or something like that. Now, I don't know if they're they're misreported, but it's concerning because is 14 days fully capturing 99.9% of all People, because if you just let one person out, that one person can have a super spreading event. You know, a lot what, of epidemic- what's that mean? I've heard
0: I've heard that term used before: super spreading and super spreaders. What is that?
1: Yeah, so on average, uh, one person. You know, I told you the r not one person affects two to four. Right, a super spreader is some like a, some unusual circumstance. You know, it's one person is spreading to tons of people, like. You know, five to 10 to 20 people like a super spreading event is like a, a sick bartender who serves everyone at a party. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that person does not just transmit to the average of two to four, you yeah. know, three, but it's in spreading to like a whole party. And from there, you know, it gets loose. And so that's a super spreading event, and the person who does it is a super spreader. So it's it's Uh got—it's
0: nothing to do with um, someone's particular physiology or the strain of the virus that they've got. It's more to do with lifestyle and and the way that they interact.
1: Unusual circumstance.
0: (laughs) Got you. Got you. Got you.
1: So there was another super spreading event years ago in the SARS first SARS epidemic, in which um, there was a toilet system in a Hong Kong building, and the toilet system was outgassing septic gas and which held the virus particle and we went to the ventilation system and went into the whole infected the whole building.
0: Holy fuck. That is a and bad, some, that is a bad some, thing to have happened.
1: I hate to say there's a study that basically now it's not of this new virus. This is too new of the old SARS virus. Someone did a study and they, they realized that obviously you can spread it from a droplet sneeze, right? Um, or talking, at dinner time to someone. Um, but apparently, it's also um, in the fecal matter, which means, um, and they did a study of flatulence. It is the virus particle in the flatulence? And the flatulence, you know, it can go pretty far. Now, I wouldn't say this on camera on TV, but we're a
0: podcast. So. Yeah, we are. We can say whatever you want, Eric. <laughs> let's let's start to debate about whether or not we can fart our way to a pandemic.
1: Yes, it is. I will send you the link. It is. There's a, someone did a study. They should win, uh, you know, the Nobel for this. But mm-hmm. um, they, they actually showed that the 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 virus particle can actually travel quite far, if you. If you leave a very, very long trail of fart. Um So now it's not for this current virus,
0: but it's for the old SARS virus. It's a sister coronavirus. How likely is it that it's going to be, it's going to have the same um, capability?
1: Yeah, I think it's likely because issue in Hong Kong last month as well. And someone who was living, someone was self-quarantined at home, but someone was living like several floors beneath them got infected. And uh, and they found that it was also so, something related to septic gas.
0: Got you. So we've spoken about the fact that it's to do with, at least mostly, s- droplets. I've heard it's something to do with, like, yeah. it's not airborne but, like, waterborne. What does this mean? How do, how do I get it?
1: It just means, like, a lot of these droplets, when you sneeze, like, to it actually goes pretty far. It doesn't have to be fully airborne, airborne. Now, there's some argument that it could be airborne. Um I think the jury is still out. So what's the difference? What's the difference between we-
0: airborne, airborne and water droplets?
1: Well, water droplets will eventually settle, right? Airborne means like it will stay in the air and will float in the air like a balloon, right? Well, Go obviously on. a tiny particle, but stay in the air. But you know, a droplet means these tiny things like when you sneeze or when you when you speak, it comes out of your mouth, but over time it will settle down. So it's like semi flying in the air for a short distance. And so we're sure about that. Now, fully airborne, it's hard to say. There's some study that says yes, some study that says no. But I think the main thing is close contact. Um, And I think the close contact issue, we've seen it uh, also, um, we think a lot of the, for example, the ship, the Diamond Princess ship, it was a Petri dish, literally, to grow. And a lot of people, you know, one in four, one in five to one in four people on that ship has tested positive, which is insane. You know, that ship has 3,700 people, and one in four, one in five people has tested positive. <laughs> and the reason we think of that is because um, a lot of the people who are in the inner cabins, besides the food sharing and, you know, public, but people with inner cabins, they don't have like a window. And so their ventilation system, now, All internal, is it airborne, yeah.
0: airborne
1: or is it like droplet travel through the system? Okay. So
0: we, we, we let's say that we're, we're with someone we're talking to, then we've got that concern. Um, what about if I touch my mouth and I've got it and then I put my hand on a doorknob or something, how long can it live on a doorknob? Yeah, it can live a week. A week? Yeah, a Fuck, week. That's a long time.
1: Yeah, it's up to a week. It depends on certain things like temperature and humidity. Um, It degrades faster in in warmer and uh, more humid air. But at the same time, you know, we're not – like Singapore happened epidemic. Singapore is 70, 75 degrees. You know, that's like 20, 25 degrees Celsius. Um, And so that still happened. But the things we're mostly indoor people. Singapore epidemic happened – the super spreading event was at a – Grand High Hotel Singapore and that hotel you know hotels it doesn't really matter what the outside climate is right if you at an indoor conference center or indoor gym and you get it it doesn't matter what, what it is outside so you know I think the the, the one of the misinformation actually is about oh it's going to all go away when the summer comes it's going to be too hot um, except we are indoor workplace kind of people and there's something called the Southern Hemisphere of the Earth, and then it'll just go to in Africa and Australia and you know Indonesia in, in, when it's winter time in the north, in the summertime in the north and winter time in the south. So I, I don't think that it's going to go away in the summer. Arguments it might slow down a little, but it could easily come back in the fall. Got you. Um, that's that's the tricky part. the The virus seems to be a survivor basically
0: can containment work or are we just past that step now? um containment you know a lot of people say
1: WHO is still trying to be optimistic that containment can work but I think uh I think we we have we have to move from containment to mitigation
0: how know? do you do that what's the difference
1: mitigation is just um you know, reducing the number of people who are exposed. Um, And no, and you know, you test as much as you can, but in terms of actually stopping the virus, um, you just, you mitigate its impact, um, and you mitigate its spread. But containment just means preventing a community transmission event, right? Someone, if someone travels from say Iran, lands at the airport, uh, and then they, we detect that they're sick uh, and we quarantine them, then that is contained, right? But if they can't come back, go, send, uh, infects their kids, goes to daycare, childcare, goes to a party, infects everyone, and they all go home and they all test positive and they all don't n- know necessarily where they had gotten it, it's not contained anymore. It's community transmission. And community transmission is way more dangerous than... A, a travel related thing because it means they picked it up randomly in the community of an unknown source that we can't necessarily trace anymore
0: got you okay so when does it get to the point where we need to just buy all of the rice in Costco and not leave our house um, I think
1: depending on which country you are <laughs> we're already there um, I mean, no, is that realistic?
0: Do I need to do I need to do that? Like, you know, I don't think there's any cases in Newcastle where I am. Like, should I be worried about going into no, a No, I route? said depending on where you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I
1: don't think the UK is there. I think Italy is there.
0: Italy, Italy's, Iran Italy's is, having a bad time at the moment. Italy is so bad. Italy really is bad.
1: Seattle right now is having a really bad one. The Seattle area, you know, Amazon. Amazon has many buildings, but one of their buildings that does Amazon Fresh, Amazon Prime Now, it's called the Amazon Brazil building. It holds like over two, three thousand workers in this huge building. Wow. Someone tested positive um, on February twenty fifth, and they had to send a notice to everyone. Like, uh, I, and the epidemic is so bad, widespread in, in Washington that I think they may have to shut down schools um, soon. They might have to cancel all public events. Like some places you have to put these moratoriums on, on public gatherings. And mm. I think some places, like Italy's already done. Italy just canceled schools today for like at least two weeks, maybe longer. Yep. Nationwide. I think Washington State may have to do that as well. Dubai, and,
0: Dubai already has.
1: Yeah. No, but I think this is, this is where, you know, mitigation comes in because you're not containing it anymore. You know it's there. We just have to... St- you know, lockdown people. Um, and I, it does work. Social distance, until we have the v- vaccine, which will take a year to 18 months, a year if we're lucky. And hopefully, the vaccine is is high enough. Effective. Like a 60-70% effective vaccine might not be enough to stop this uh, virus. Remember, for every infected person, it may infect two to four additional people. So, uh, you need to get the R below one, and so if with that, you know, um, you you know something that has say R of three, you need you need like at least you know seventy percent higher just to bring it below one. Mm-hmm. You know, you need a very high you need eighty five, ninety, ninety five percent efficacy, and not every vaccine is the perfect efficacy like that. So, and then that is only a year and year and a half. There are existing antiviral drugs that could work. Um, we're testing this. There's some older HIV and uh, hepatitis C drugs we're currently testing. The drug does exist. It's been phase one tested, but we have to phase two test whether it works with this virus. Again, that might take six to nine months. We could get early results depending on how good it is in late April um, at the earliest. So we'll have to see.
0: I get you. Okay. Um, How can... I tell if I've got COVID-19 without going to a hospital where I am, might there might hospitals might already be over capacity or whatever. Yeah. How, how do I know?
1: Because um, the symptoms are very nonspecific at first. You know, fever, coughing, you know, pneumonia. But there's many things that cause that, right? So um, you need to get tested. But at the same time, you know, testing capacity is very limited. So again, what you could—if someone has something, it could be the flu. It really could, or it could be another um, endemic, common cold coronavirus that's not nearly so bad. You—you um, you can't really tell when, until you're totally tested. Uh, you could get a CT, and it will tell you a CT will pick up a really bad pneumonia in your lungs, but uh, that's more of an approximation. Again, it's not for certain. In Hubei. Anyone who tests a positive for CT pneumonia, they assume you have it, but because that's because you're in Wuhan, right? Mm-hmm. The epicenter. But most you have to go through
0: the test. Okay. That that seems like it's not as easy as it could be or should be, I suppose. Um, let's talk about um let's talk about the origin just for a second. I want to get back to how people that are listening can potentially protect themselves and, and then potentially some public policy implications as well. But um, there's been some talk, I've seen quite a bit of stuff about, uh, we need to find the origin. Patient zero is important. Is finding patient zero important? The person that it jumped from animals to humans?
1: At this point, it's not the most important thing at all. Um, patient zero would like, give you a source initially, but at this point, for all the treatments and containment and public health measures, it's, it's of low importance. You know, so people keep asking, was it the seafood market or not? You know, uh, I would say that it might not be the seafood market only because, you know, the New England Journal paper actually found that the first two people infected in early December had no seafood market contact. It was only the next wave that had seafood market contact in, in late December. So it could have been that someone introduced it to the seafood market and seafood market was like this super spreading event right um so you know but whether it was introduced to seafood market or it was made to jump from the animal to humans at the seafood market it, it doesn't really make uh, that much of a difference i don't think um you know the only people who really care are the the bioweapon conspiracy theories yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah yeah i so I, 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 it's, it's a moot point we know that we know that these um, there's tons of you know there's a study in which people studied how many coronaviruses are in bats. Oh my God, there's like dozens and dozens that we've never even known about. Mm-hmm. And so then they tested the blood of all these people, uh, these indi- indigenous people and local rural tribes are exposed to these bats, and they found, oh my God, these people actually have a lot of coronavirus that never been identified before. They've just been mild and we've ignored it because it's not bad. But this one is actually a really bad one um, because it selected itself for, you know, over time, the, the most, the survival of the fittest in terms of viral evolution. So um, this, we have now a viral evolution selected one of the most infectious, uh, severe viruses. And it is perfectly natural, impossible, and plausible. They happen by itself.
0: Got you. Have we had any indication that this virus could mutate? And is that a concern? Does it matter? And what does it mean?
1: Yeah. So it, it can mutate. RNA viruses mutate more than DNA viruses. That's that's like a general rule. Because RNA uh, system is always a little funky. Because DNA has two helixes, right? And so if you make an error, the other helix realizes the error and something fixes it right away. Um, the RNA is, is a single strand, so it doesn't have this correction mechanism. But the coronavirus has is, um, is a big enough RNA that actually has a special endonuclease within it that actually can fix errors along the way. So it doesn't mutate as fast as the flu. The flu has a very funky mutation system that tries to always reshuffle itself and creates brand new strains every year that causes vaccines that always have to play a -a whack-a-mole catch-up. But hopefully we can have one um, vaccine that will work for this. It doesn't, so, you know, we haven't, you know, we have different variations, small variations, and they found that the actual mutation rate is one mutation, uh, one, approximately one, um, uh, amino acid mutation every um, two weeks, so that's how they figured out. That's the approximate rate, and so you can figure out how how it diverges. Uh, you know, you know the detective slew thing I, um, of the g- virus genome I told you about earlier. Um, but it's it's not. We're not going to get multiple strains, and it could mutate, but at the same time, it could. Most mutations are just junk mutations. You could potentially select for a very hyper survival one, but generally you need a very high number of infections for that. Um, and right now, overseas, there's still not enough of that. I, I don't think uh, the mutation is our current worry. You know, I think we will be able to find one vaccine that will work for it for a long time. Uh, it's so it's not like the flu in that sense.
0: Got you. Um, right. What are some of the things? That the people who are listening can do to protect themselves what's the the 80 20 on that
1: um i would stop shaking hands with people no offense wave high at them fist bump elbow bump
0: i saw a bump. um sorry for sorry for putting in here but i saw a relative transmission rate graph which i'm going to presume that you've seen and it's like uh the elbow bump was best, then followed by the fist bump. And then there was like the slow fist bump. I'm like, who's doing a slow fist bump? Like you're from Save by the Bell in the 1990s or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's just one measure. I think the other key things are, you know, just don't touch your face. Um, by the way, really embarrassing. At Washington State, there was a press conference about the epidemic. And as she was fumbling through her papers, she, she was saying, everyone, wash your hands. Don't touch your face. She was flipping her paper. And licking like her
0: fingers to get through the bits. Of...
1: In the middle of the press conference, telling people, don't touch their face. Ugh, it was wow, terrible.
0: What a, what a f- um, What is it? It's not it, face palm, is it? It's like face. Yeah. Well, you don't want a face palm. That's the problem. Oh,
1: God. Yeah, I know. Anyways, it's become an internet meme uh, now. But, but it, it's, it's just so terrible. But I think, you know, avoid touching elevator buttons. Just avoid touching doorknobs. I know that is really hard. But doorknobs are not disinfected often. Don't touch things in public. You have to kind of be a little germaphobe until this thing is over, you know. Um, And uh, public transit is the other thing. Like I, I see like this, you know, the city leaders are always saying public transit is fine, but public transit is also one of the – confined space, limited ventilation. You know what I'm talking about. It, and it doesn't have – unlike the airplane, airplane at least it takes in new air every three or five minutes. So the air in the in the cabin is being replaced every three or five minutes. So in certain ways, the airplane is pretty good. Unless you get unlucky and sit someone next to a cough, the airplane is actually pretty good in terms of replacing the air. But that's not true on a bus or a train, you know. And so and I don't know if they use super high, small micron HEPA filters that can filter out virus particles because not every air filter does. So, uh, you know, I think the other key thing is people ask, do you travel? I say, look, at some point, you know, once the pandemic becomes really real and, and it's like in what's that number? What's 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 really real mean? As in, like the epidemic is literally everywhere. Eighty, you know. Let's just say, if, if I was in the United States, it's an eighty percent of all the states. You know, I'm gonna say it's probably everywhere. And staying here is no better than getting on a plane and going there. Granted, you know, air, airport is um is a place to exchange, but I don't think. I don't think you should stop your life. And people ask me how anxious am I am? My, my, on a scale of one to 10, I'm a six. I'm worried, but I'm not anxious because I'm anxious about things that is something I can control that I'm not doing, right? Like testing. I'm anxious that we're not getting enough testing. But am I anxious for the inevitable? Because inevitable? the CDC, one of the CDC um, vaccine immunology heads says, and report, report to Congress, this virus is inevitable. It will be in every single state. In that sense, I am not anxious because it's like, just brace yourself, come what may, right? So I have that kind of stoic mentality. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not everyone does. Mm-hmm. But, you know, protect yourself as much as you can. As for masks, um, surgical masks are pretty useless. Uh, and N95 masks do not filter out everything. Um, but N95 masks are better. But at the same time, um, if you wear a beard, it's totally useless. If uh, wearing some uh, the N95 mask, by the way, because you need, the mask,
0: you need full full uh, you need seal full around.
1: around, full seal around it. Um, and sur- again, the surgical mask, the mask, what they mostly do is it catches your spray from your mouth when you're talking to someone. Hey, how's it going? I have a great idea and you're spraying you know even if you're someone who's very careful everyone sprays the saliva when they talk at dinner time it's natural a mask but it does not actually protect you from inhaling um the virus if it's in a droplet tiny droplet in the air does that make sense so like it will it, some, sometimes people have a false sense of security when they wear a mask it's not it's it's to actually protect others not to protect yourself necessarily Okay, that's, um, that's not good. Comes. I thought
0: I thought I could just stick a stick a mask on and I'd be okay. So it turns out that that's that's not very good. So what about um,
1: helping? N95 mas- masks are partially effective. They good. are partially,
0: but they're also now in the highest demand. No, yes, getting hold of. Have you yeah. seen? Um, I just got told before this by one of my friends that um, alcohol hand wash prices, uh, like. Some companies charging like ten x, hundred x what it should be. Yeah.
1: yeah, no, there's a lot of price gouging. Although there's actually like a do-it-yourself like home, um, home hand sanitizer that you can make out of isopropyl alcohol yourself. So
0: okay, um, that's cool. That's pretty cool. You just people you, be able to search on on the internet and find out how far, to make it.
1: How to make your own hand sanitizer. Um, it's probably shelf life stability probably not as good, but you just mix some aloe vera gel. Um, and this alcohol, and you can—it's—it's it's good enough.
0: Cool. Um, that's that's a really good—that's uh, a really good tip. I like that. What about yeah. um, ensuring that I am as robust as I can be? Uh, should I be upping my vitamin D? D three? Uh, should I be?
1: You know? Yeah. Some people say take your vitamin C, vitamin D, and vitamin D is good for general immunity. Vitamin C can maybe you know shorten of a cold to short a small amount. But we don't have evidence. I'm a scientist. I'm an epidemiologist. I also do clinical trials. Unless you have causal evidence, I'm. I'm. Whole, the jury's still out, in my sense.
0: Probably I don't, no harm in doing it, but there's also no no yeah, indication that it's, it's going to no move the needle. Harm, but
1: don't go panic buying on, on these things without <laughs> evidence. I, That's my general thing. Don't go panic buying. Also, by the way, panic buying is, is, is a, more of a somatoformic social phenomenon. If you see someone panic buy at the store, you're going to panic buy. But if you see someone just buying one or two, you're just going to buy one or two, right? It's it's the panic buying is is you see other panicking, people panicking and then you panicking. And then that's how stampedes happen. That's how people people die in stampedes. Yeah. because oftentimes it's other people running and so all of a sudden you have to run too or else you're going to be trampled. So um,
0: it's, society is a funny little place. Um, yeah, man, it is. is we're it, These weird shaven apes walking around with a brain that really doesn't work right for the environment it's in. Um, i got a couple more questions. First off, we've spoken. It's been in the nicest way possible. Eric, you haven't told me what I wanted to hear, um, but I'm glad that you've told us what you know. What would be an indication, two, two-part two question. First part, what would be an indication that things are getting worse? Um, the indication that it's
1: getting worse um, is if you start, if the epidemic is unchecked, even in a high-income country like Germany, Sweden, Finland, Denmark. What does unchecked mean? Like community transmission, like really fast community transmission in those kind of places, I would I would really start to worry um, because, you know, those places have some of the best healthcare systems. And the other signal is in Korea, if the mortality, you know how I talk about the cohort, your, say your Valentine's Day infected person, by the end of March, if the mortality is still pretty high then i'm gonna still be pretty worried about um about it because if the mortality is like above
0: one percent even in korea that's that's pretty bad
1: in my sense
0: got you okay uh what would be an indication that things are getting better um the community transmission
1: stopping and i want to (coughs) see you know a high number of tests and then high number of tests, the proportion infected are steadily declining. Assuming the same constant number of tests, that would be a good signal, because the more you test, or at a high test volume, you're not you're not finding more. That means um, potentially the the epidemic is winding down. I just want to say that the test is not perfect. The test has a accuracy about 50% or less, which means not that there's false positives. If you test a positive, it's most likely pretty much clear it's positive. There's a lot of false negatives. And the false negatives is not an issue when you're first diagnosing a case as much. You know, Early on, it's really important to catch every case, but at least catching a case, catching at least 50% of cases is better than catching none, right? The problem of of this high number of false negatives is that when you, it's time to release people from either quarantine or from the hospital, their fever's gone, their symptoms are resolved, and right now, oftentimes, you need two consecutive, uh, one full day apart, uh, negative tests, two consecutive negative tests. But the problem is um, you can easily have you know, fifty percent times fifty percent, you could have a twenty-five percent chance just by pure luck that you get negative tests, right? Um, and I don't, and that worries me because this person's people, now out
0: there spreading it around, yeah, thinking they're, they're fine. The
1: and because there's many examples, someone tested negative seven times, released, tested positive, a week or two. That's later. an actual example. Oh my God! There's like five or six examples in China, in Japan. This happens so many times. Just look. Right now, they call it reinfection. It, it's this. It's. I don't think it's reinfection. It's
0: misdiagnosis.
1: It, it's just you were released on based on negative tests that are that are faulty. Got you. And then, um, and then over time, um, you know, say you get sleep deprived one night and uh, you had a stressful day, and then your your immune system drops a little bit, and then the virus flares back up. Got you. Um, But but you never shed it. Like, this happens all the time. Like, for example, HIV. Um, HIV tests, sometimes they say, oh, the drug was so effective, it is below the limit of detection. We can't detect the virus. But we know it's still there. So this kind of thing happens all the time. Like, you could be low, 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 and the test will give you a negative. But the test might not be sensitive enough to the super low. And... Two negative tests to release you, you still have it, still shedding, test positive later, but during that time, you may have infected someone. That actually is what worries me the most. I would love to see a test with both high sensitivity and high specificity. Sensitivity means all the true cases, how many do you find? You want to find 99% of them. High specificity means all the people who don't have it, how many um, percent that you correct, like one minus the false positive. So a false positive is 1%, the specificity is 99%. you want the specificity, you have a test to have high sensitivity and high specificity? And oftentimes the problem with the U.S. testing delay was the kit. There was three parts of the kit. The first two was to find the virus. The third was a negative control. Um, the negative control had a whole bunch of other miscellaneous viruses. And the test kit was supposed to test positive just for the COVID-19, the SARS-CoV-2 virus but negative for the negative control. But it it somehow cross-reacted and the tests kept testing positive for, even for the ones, the sample that does not have it, um, because somehow the test is picking up other viruses as well. And that's why the testing in the US was delayed two weeks. But this testing problem, we need to get a better test. Um, But this 50% accurate one, and and 50% based on Chinese Academy of Science Analysis, is currently the best we have, but hopefully we can find also a more rapid one. Because right now, the, the lab, the PCR, that you need a PCR machine. So it takes at least 12 hours to, you know, by the time you send it to a lab, get it back. And it's pretty labor intensive. Um, if we have like an A1C, like a glucose strip, or cholesterol, you know, you basically pinprick, stick it in uh, the little strip, and it tells you, or something rapid under an hour, that would be really great. There are people working on it but it still has to go through some approval. But um and then and I want to see how accurate it is. you
0: know. Man, I Would can you- only I can only imagine some of the I mean you're one of them. You're one of the the people that's in the midst of this particular situation. But I can only imagine how chaotic some of the guys working at vaccine laboratories working at the testing laboratories, you know, working at the control centers, and then take it one step up from there. What about the uh the doctors, the nurses that are working? It's like every healthcare professional on the planet just got turned up to eleven, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is it is really stressful to healthcare professionals and also first responders. Like firefighters and police who first respond to someone who Falls ill and needs nine one one or emergency ambulance, and um, and unless you know that this person has a respiratory illness, who could be a potential case, um, they're not they're not wearing any protection. And the scary part is, look, the quarantine Japanese quarantine officer who boarded the Princess Diamond ship, you know, the, the one that was quarantined off of Yokohama, he boarded with masks, with protective gear, did inspection, got off the ship tested positive. Another firefighter in Japan, transporting these patients as they were evacuating, he was wearing protective gear, finished transporting, tested, tested positive. Um, and, and so it's really trouble. Like right now, in one county in next to Seattle, Washington, 25 um, firefighters have been quarantined, which is a full tw- uh, a quarter of their entire uh, firefighting workforce out of commission for 14 days. And now half of them have developed flu-like symptoms. All from just transporting, you know, this one patient. This virus is so infectious. It is just, you cough and sneeze and it goes everywhere. And that's what's such a worrying little, little sucker. Yeah, I get
0: it. So I want to um I want to I want to wrap back up and just give everyone what they should take away from this. Apart from obviously all the information and thank you so much for giving us your time. I know that you must be crazy busy you're on Turkish TV and Iranian BBC and uh, and ABC and all this stuff. Um the things that people can do. What should they do? Give us the principles they should take away.
1: Don't panic buy, slow buy. Um your stock up probably like two weeks worth of food and water. Um in case of future panic buy. But remember, you're trying to prepare. So part of preparing is slow buy. Um, Avoid touching people, and avoid touching your hands. Wash, you know, just generally, going to restaurants, be very careful. Don't touch anything, basically. That's not purely, you know, uh, static, clean. Um, I would avoid social things. I would avoid concerts sport sporting events parties with poor ventilation maybe outdoor party maybe but i I just knowing and seeing how infectious it has been on so many uh, different situations avoiding these kind of things at all costs um
0: public transport
1: yeah and public transport be very careful be very careful if someone coughs next to you (laughs) move out of the way um uh, but at the same time, don't be racist that, you know, someone just because they look like they're from China. At this point, looking like you're some, someone from China is not an indicator of someone having a virus anymore. <laughs> <Honestly>. <laughs> like, you know, in that sense, you know, avoid Italians. But that doesn't make sense either.
0: I get you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: I, think, I think just social distancing is the most important thing. I hate to say it. Until we have these drugs or a vaccine, social distancing is is really the best measure. And um, again, fist bumps and elbow bumps or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just avoid touching people. And you know, even at dinner, if having face to face conversation, stand as far away as you can. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, at restaurants. We're very careful when you when you when you're going out to dinner and you're talking. Your saliva will naturally go into someone else's food across the table.
0: I get you. So, and if you're going to do a podcast, do it over Skype like this. Yeah. Although is-
1: someday we're going to have these virtual reality kind of like holograms, and then you know it's going to feel real because then you can.
0: Uh, if you can, if you can infect me with COVID nineteen through a hologram, then technology's gone too far.
1: Hey, I have an infectious personality. Isn't that enough?
0: <laughs> I get it. Um, Eric, man, like I say, thank you so much. You are yep. right in the midst of it at the moment. Um, people want to follow you for updates and stuff. Where should they go? Yeah. Um, follow my Twitter. Um, I have, I have a Facebook as well, but right now I'm just
1: purely on Twitter, uh, for those updates at, at Dr. Eric Ding, D R Eric, E R I C then ding, D-I-N-G, at Dr. Eric Ding.
0: Fantastic. Are there any other, other than your Twitter feed, obviously, um, are there any news outlets or, or um, websites or whatever that you think are giving accurate updates where people could follow those as well?
1: Um, I think uh, Stat News is a really good one. Stat News is like a healthcare newspaper, They're, and they have pretty good updates. You know, obviously WHO uh, has updates, but WHO... Um, their recommendations are much more optimistic. If you want more realistic, in certain ways, or more predictively ambitious, um, I would say you know uh, follows. I think following Twitter COVID nineteen hashtag, it's a, it's a really good hash because it's something that everyone's using mm-hmm. for uh, for this epidemic on on Twitter. Um, you know. Anyways, I try to source everything that's directly sourceable from a from a journalist or a newspaper. Um, so I'm trying to stick to the facts, but I'm giving the real, the realistic things that the health department people don't necessarily want to say out loud. So
0: I think um, certainly, certainly in the environment that we're in at the moment, it makes a lot of sense to err on the side of um, prudence rather than optimism with with something like this, right? Look, yeah. Eric, man, thank you. Thank you so much for yeah. your time. I uh, I hope, in the nicest way possible, I hope that we don't need to do another episode about this. Um, I hope so. Next either. time, I if we speak we- again, we can just be talking about you know something cool. Isn't that isn't yeah. that virus Isn't that virus that all gives us like really really good skin? Isn't that like yeah. such a such a wonderful pandemic for us all to have?
1: Yeah. As opposed to you know how much. How much food do you have left? Next time we, we uh we're in our bunkers. Well, I um, do know
0: I do know where you are. If uh, if I need to contact you and let's say if so, man, it's uh I'm glad that I've got hold of someone who understands what's going on. I'm sure right. that a lot of the people that are listening well, do as well.
1: Right, thank you so much, and uh, let's let's chat again. Hopefully in a couple weeks or months.
0: I get it. Oh.